Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am TJ Van Toll, and we have a special panel episode today. And with me on the panel, I have Paige Niedringhaus. Hello, everybody. And Jack Harrington. Hello. Hey, folks. This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. All right, so today we're gonna talk about a topic that we get no questions about, generates no controversy <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. We, we are talking about state management, which what? honestly, like this is probably the the most debated thing in the React world or up yeah. there, which is quite the statement too, because we, we like to have lots of opinions. So <laughs> we're talking state managers and various questions that have come in and, and try to bring some clarity to this. So where do we want to kick this off? Uh, Jack, I know you've, you've done a lot of videos on this. You've done, <laughs> I think you've covered like 20 or so of these. <laughs> yeah, last week managers. I covered 20 of these. So maybe you could start by painting us like, a broad picture, like what is state management? Where do you start? What are some of the categories? Maybe we can use that as to start off this conversation. Yeah, sounds good. So let's talk first about like why we need why this is a thing, why we need a state manager. Yeah. And the fact is, it just sort of react just didn't cover that area. React was originally designed to be a, a view framework. So you build your components, you render your view, you give it some props, maybe there's some state. It's like, you know, is the modal opener closed? Things like that, not business state. And then you have something else, like, uh, I don't know, backbone store or whatever that was going to go and drive the state. And so you basically have half a solution. And then you know, and nobody wanted to do the backbone thing. And so they came up with this flux idea and the flux had this one way directional thing. And, and then there's alt and flux and then redux came out and everybody, Oh, this is the one, you know, redux. <laughs> and so everybody you know, react redux from there forever. And then there was react redux saga. And, but now we, and I guess around the same time MobX came out. So there was always like this, this two, at least two categories of state manager. You had your bi-directional state managers like MobX and now one called Valshio. And then there's unidirectional state managers like Redux, the pared down version called uh, Zustand, Z-U-S-T-A-N-D, very popular. People didn't like Redux a lot because it was very boilerplate-y. You know, in order to get anything done, you had to go create a reducer and actions and a selector and yada, yada, yada. And so there was a lot of hemming and hawing about that. And of course, now Redux has been simplified a little bit with Redux Toolkit. We had, I think, Mark on you know, a while back. And that was an awesome, awesome thing. There's also Rematch, which is excellent if you want to kind of simplify 
your use of Redux. And then there's been some new state management models come out too. There's one called uh, the Atomic Model, which is another one from Facebook, which is popularized with something called Recoil. And then there's also an open source, another version of that called Jotai. So, wow, so many names. I hope, I hope people are taking notes. Yeah, right? This is going to be on the Yeah, show. yeah, yeah. I can imagine the show notes are going to be ridiculous for this show. <laughs> and there's only one more, one more, one more category, which is uh, what I'm calling like reactive state managers. That's stuff that's based on events. So you send the, the state manager an event. And those are in, in that category, some of stuff like Effector. And there's another one called Akita. And so it, you know, basically, if you're using like RxJS and you're doing the, the real time thing with RxJS, then those are a real good fit for that because that really nicely kind of dovetails into the React framework, into the React ecosystem. And then, of course, complicating all this is like another part of it, which is, do I need one of these at all? Mm-hmm. And so you can basically get real familiar with hooks, which you need to anyway to basically use any of these things because they're all hook based. And then kind of on top of that, you're going to have some, probably something like React Router DOM or React Location for routing. You're probably going to have like React Query if you want to do some queries. And those cache data and they hold context all on their own. Like your, like your location is a context, right? And your React Router or your React, React Query that you just got some data off of has some data. And so the question then becomes, and I get this a lot, like if I have those things, do I even need a state manager in the first place. So lots of interesting questions around this. Definitely like high test, architecture, principal lead, senior developer type questions. So this is a great, great episode to uh, to get into because I know there's a lot of questions around it. Well, maybe we could start with like, let, let's maybe go up the complexity chain. So if we start <laughs> with, if we start with the basics, right? Because React use state is kind of like a, it, I mean, you can do some basic state management with that, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. is the modal open for that? Mm-hmm. Like React use state is great. You have yeah. a Boolean in there. You you keep track of it. It it isolates it to the component and amazing. Mm-hmm. So what are the things then that would get you looking for something more than that? Like what's like reason number one that, okay, I, I no longer want to keep this in state. There's like, this isn't going to do it for me. I need something to to bring into to just add more, make my life easier? Well, the main thing that I can think of is when either you're having a you have a component that re-renders frequently, in which case that state would get lost. So if you wanted to compare maybe previous state to current state, in which case you might actually move towards use ref as a first thing because that will keep its current value even if the component re-renders. But the second thing is that when you're when you're getting to a point where a page is refreshing or you've got something a user is maybe opening something else in a new tab, something where local session storage or local state management, whatever that might be, cookies or in a, a browser or a JWT token or whatever, just probably isn't going to cut it. That's when you might start to look at something like Redux or RTK or Recoil or Jotai. <laughs> but I guess the main thing that, and Jack kind of touched on this towards the end of his introduction and the long list of availability <laughs> that we have, is that it once you start to build an application, it takes a lot longer than you might initially think before I, I now would reach for a separate state management library. Between the the improvements that we've gotten to things like context with hooks 
and the local state management things that we still have access to with the browser, I think it's a lot less necessary for a lot of applications than it may have been when people kind of started out building React apps personally. Yeah, I feel this personally because I, being a DevRel person, a lot of my work is on sample apps, so they don't get super complex. And so one reason I don't have a ton of experience with these libraries is I haven't needed them because if you're, it's not until you get into more complex scenarios that you kind of need this. So for simpler apps, like U-State context can get you by in a whole lot of scenarios. In fact, you actually probably don't want to use, you don't want to bring in a big old state manager just in the into those examples, because that's cluttering up, what, that's, that's distracting from what the story you're trying to tell, which is like, oh, I'm going to use this API over here. That's the really key part. Like, you don't have to learn Redux, because you don't need it necessarily to learn that API. So totally good to keep it simple like that. I, I guess, adding on to what Paige said, the third thing would be, if you've got fast moving global state, that you need shared between different components on the page. Like context, because we don't have selectors for context, yet is not the greatest thing for fast moving data. Like if you've got, because anything that's underneath that context provider is going to re-update whether it needs the data or not. So that's, if you got fast moving global state, then then yeah, you probably want to pull for like a, one of those four buckets of, of managers that handles like global state, at least mm-hmm. react global state. And so is that for performance reasons or is that for like developer convenience reasons? A little bit both, but mostly both. For, for performance <laughs> reasons, yeah. <laughs> is it because otherwise you'd be re-rendering too much when that global yeah. state changes? Okay. Although re-rendering, I think, is like a lot of folks are like, ooh, re-render. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. that's the devil. And you're, no, 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 no. Actually, you've got the VDOM already, right? So re-rendering a function is actually a fairly lightweight thing to do because then you're just, you're update, you're creating a new VDOM, you're comparing it against the existing VDOM, and the only time that the browser is actually a change is when you actually have a delta between the actual dom and this vdom you created Mm -hmm. so there's no it's not like you you should never re-render expect to get re-rendered a lot but you know get re-rendered a bazillion like that's not great or if you've got a really deep tree that's another problem yeah yeah i was thinking if you have a, a really large data set that you're trying to render then your browser could slow down just trying to process all that data again but one of the really cool things that seems to be happening is that the frameworks that are using React, like Next.js, are getting really good at handling that for you. And one instance that I'm thinking of that I just learned about recently was Next.js now has a thing called incremental static generation, which is basically where you're pulling all of your data on the, the server side. So you're using Next's SSR technology, but you can then tell it to revalidate that data after a certain amount of time has passed. So if you are pulling new data from your database or you have new events coming in somewhere and you're trying to make sure that you're still staying up to date with that, Next has a way to do that where you don't have to force refresh the page yourself or set up some kind of a custom interval hook. And it will just push that new data into the DOM without a user seeing jank or a loading screen or anything like that. It'll just update it every 30 seconds, 60 seconds, however often you want it to check for new data, which is really awesome because that solves a huge problem that some people had, which is getting the most up-to-date data or worrying about stuff being invalid or stale 
So that, that to me is like a huge, huge improvement. So is that happening with that approach? Is it basically just pulling the server for new data at that point? Or is there some like intelligence to it where the server can kind of like almost like websockety tell it that there have been updates? I think that it's more like polling because the the only way that you can use it right now is to say at a certain interval that you specify, check for new data. But I have a feeling that there's more going on than just that because if there isn't new data, I don't know if the DOM does any sort of a refresh to re re-display everything. It might be that if there's nothing new when it checks this revalidation is what they call it, then the DOM probably stays as it is. But I guess if there is new data and new stuff to render, then it will. But it does it so smoothly that you don't even see it happening. It's just like there's <laughs> yeah. now just new new data on the screen. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned with the frameworks too, because I know Remix also does <laughs> some some magic where if you like do a post or a put or a delete, it somehow triggers get requests. And I don't understand the exact mechanics of it, but I think it gets at your point of like frameworks trying to kind of automate this because previously that's one of the things you'd need a state manager for is like managing some of this complexity. And if the frameworks are now like the the more like, I guess, full stacky frameworks are doing this for you now, it also negates some of the need for state management libraries <laughs> right. too. If, this, right. this, if these things are just doing it on your behalf or trying to be smarter about how they handle these sort of data situations. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that thing about Remix doing kind of optimistic state updating based on events or things the user does in the browser, there's another package that uh, Next has been the proponent of called Use SWR, which is stale while revalidating, I think. And it is the client-side version of that. So it has all sorts of, if I mutate data, like I submit a form, then you can tell SWR that's what's happening and it will automatically update on the front end while the actual call is going back to a backend database or API so that the user can see that something has changed even if we haven't gotten that successful callback saying, yes, I've got this update or this data, which is, again, awesome because it's the same <laughs> thing. We expect it to go through. If it doesn't, we'll have to handle that for that failure. But we can at least give the user the impression that something is happening and that the change that they've made has taken place, which is very cool to me. Yeah, you don't have to wait that 200 milliseconds yeah. API to get back. And then, oh, okay, hold on. Our, our UI has changed. And in the meantime, customers kind of like, what? Does it updated? <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Stale while revalidate. Mm-hmm. The SWR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's got all sorts of hooks and different options and parameters that you can pass to it. So it will do different things like it will refetch data or on an interval or it will mutate data and update the UI while it's doing the back end calls. It's it's pretty cool. It's a little bit it was it's been a little bit hard to wrap my head around because I've tried to insert it into some next projects that I'm working on. But it's the amount of stuff that it can do. I'm sure if you configure it correctly, it's pretty cool. Well, we're kind of like, there's, to me, a little bit of a line between truly like state management libraries. That's all they do. Thinking of like 
Redux, or at least historic Redux. Sure. And these libraries that are more based around APIs, I guess, or I don't know what the better term is, like network management, because I almost think of like, say, like React Query or something like that in a different bucket than true state management. I don't know. Maybe a request library. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, maybe we could walk people through like, so React Query, and Jack, you can help clarify here when I say things wrong. But as, (laughs) as as I understand it, it basically helps you fetch data, but also do things around like caching data. Like if you're concerned, I don't want to hit my API too often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to detect how I, like I'll, I'll keep this data in cache so that I don't have to hit my server all the time. And like a, a whole bunch of operations like that. Am I more or less remembering that correctly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It does that cache management for you, but it also just holds the data, right? You get back, you use the use query hook. It's got a data key on that. That's your data. You don't need to go and create a new use state for that. It already did that. And so it's got the data. It's got the typing you want. If you want to go and transform the data, well, you just hook it up with like a use memo and say, well, when the data changes, run this transform on it. And there you go. It's probably even like a, you can probably do that in use query itself too. It's got a lot of options. But uh, yeah, that's why you get a lot of questions around, hey, do I need any kind of, because, at the end of the day, if you if you use that and Redux together, you have two copies of the data now. You've got the use query version, and you've got the one that's sitting in the Redux store. And then the question becomes, well, where's truth? Right? Yeah. If I, uh-oh, that's a problem. <laughs> well, I think that's why, like, even Redux is moving towards, like, a React query-inspired approach, too, to try to give you a best of both worlds. So right, they got RTK. Yeah, so RTK basically does the same thing, but it built, but but it stores that data in the store, right? You know, with yeah. all the extra, like, are you are you loading and are you blah blah, blah and all, all that cool stuff that you get that normally we wouldn't write on ourselves because we don't deal with error cases unless we need to, kind of like right. Devro guy yeah. who probably never writes error case code. Data will always come back. <laughs> <laughs> it always works. What are we talking about? Yeah. Who needs air handling? Who needs right. tests? Status code. Like, Who needs to check that? The, as long as the demo works, that's that's the <laughs> test case. <laughs> Once I give the presentation, I don't care what happens. So. Right. Yes. It brings a new level of optimism. Pages whole thing is like optimistic re-rendering. Your stuff is just straight optimism. Just like never failing. Right. Nothing ever fails. Those errors will uh, just be swallowed. They're fine. I yeah. used to. So fun, fun fact, uh, lots of times when I've given demos, so I've, I've done a few like high risk demos in my life, like done it on technologies that could easily have failed. And so lots of times I'll have a literal video back backup mm-hmm. of just me doing it. And it has saved me more than once where I just say this failed. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to play the video of me doing it and talk through it. Because um, <laughs> So yeah, really sometimes, things, sometimes yeah. things go wrong on stage. So just pro tip to anybody doing a presentation, no matter the, the scale you're doing it as, it's backups are good. Yeah, do not live code if you can avoid it. It will never work the way you think it should. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Wi-Fi at conference centers is a killer oh, of many projects. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well, so getting back to that question, though, like, should I use an API? Should I use React? Redux, I guess, whatever, global state manager, if I ha- I'm also using React Query, if you need somebody to say, sure, you can do that, I will tell you, sure, you can do that. Like, if you need that <laughs> external validation, that's okay. That's a, that's an architecturally okay approach. Yeah. The, the greatest answer, though, for everything is it <laughs> depends. Of course. 
And I think one thing that I've, I've noticed over the course of working with React and kind of seeing the changes and the, the progress that it's made is that it will take a lot longer than you think it might to need an outside state manager like we've been talking about. You'll, once you start talking and, and thinking about it as your team grows and your project grows and your data sets grow, a lot of times it, you don't want to store that data anywhere because like we said, it'll be out of date sooner than you can imagine depending on what's happening. And and if you need to, you can go fetch it again. There's, yeah. I think it'll be a long time before fetching it will take so long that it will provide a, a bad user experience for your users. Yeah, I mean, it's really just general software development advice. In in general, you don't want to reach for a dependency until that dependency is going to solve you. Like it, it basically, you save enough time or effort to make it worth taking on a dependency. Because any dependency you have is another thing that you're going to have to maintain moving forward that could become unmaintained that you don't that you do not control. So there's some even if it's a small amount of risk anytime you take on a dependency. So it should be doing something for you. And Mm -hmm. usually the best way to to really learn what it's doing for you is to feel the pain first. (laughs) Okay, like managing, doing something with this data is causing me headaches. And now I understand why this library exists and why bringing this in is going to save me time or effort or both. Yeah. So let me, let me pitch you on a library that I think is helpful here. So, we talked a lot about how hooks are the basis of everything. Yeah, you know, all of these state managers, they all talk through hooks nowadays. And I see a lot of folks using hooks. Like the, that's their approach to state management is custom hooks. There are, I think there's a two, at least two. I know there's React Use, and I think there's one other one, which is a very helpful, like just kind of like that kitchen drawer full of handy hooks. Things like use request animation frame and use interval and, you know, use... Uh, intersection observer and stuff like that where you know these are just like handy little hooks you can tree prune them they're small they literally and in some cases they have the code literally in, like on the site like hey here's the code you know you know don't copy and paste it because you're just bringing the dependency and you get the bug fixes but i think all of those that i've seen contain a like a global state hook which is basically just use state but global right and it's a nice counterpoint to context, right? If you if you got a if you got a hook, everything's working and it's great, and then product management says, "Hey, but we need just need to see this data over in this other part of the screen." You're like, "Do I have to roll it into context? Uh, do I have to prop drill it?" Uh. No, you just go and like take off the shelf this little like global state hook. You make that piece of state global. You expose the a hook to go get it, and boom, you're done. It works fine. Yeah, recoil and like some of these atomic ones were mm. kind of. Like, I mean, that really is like that that, recoil. That's kind of all it is. It's just like one big, I I think it's actually like two methods. But (laughs) I I was, me again, doing pretty simple apps. I found it very appealing because it's it's essentially that. It's just one place. I think for any apps that you don't have a ton of global state, right? Like you just have a few things that need to be global. Those those can be great things to use or, or... or at least to start with, because it's the APIs are dirt simple. Like anybody can learn that within an hour or two of tinkering around. Let me just jump in for one second, though. You're underselling Recoil a little bit. Recoil is, <laughs> has this really nice thing where it's like there is the atom, which is the basically global state, like just what you mentioned. But there's also this thing called, um, I think it's 
select or something like that. Basically, it, it, Joe Ty also has this sort of thing, but it's not called. It's not a different thing. Just a regular old atom. Anyway, the idea is you can create like a mesh, like a grid, like a dependency tree of these atoms, and you can derive one state from the other state. And so it's actually really cool. If you if you are into like Excel spreadsheets and you think of the world as like, oh, that's a cell, and this is a range, and that kind of thing. Actually, the Jotai recoil model fits really well. So when one atom changes, the other atom updates automatically. Just really nice. So that, you know, just to put it out there for folks, recoil is a bit more than just a global state management. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Is that because, so just to try to understand what that's doing, sure. is it because it's like if you have some state that's dependent on each other that you yeah. want to avoid, like only updating under like when those conditions are met sort of thing? Yeah, so let's say that you got like a list of names and then you've got a filter string, right? And your so your list of names would be an atom and your filter string would be an atom and you could have an, like another atom like a select atom that basically depends on those two and gives you the filtered list of names and then when either of those things changes the names change or the filter changes then automatically automagically the other one automatically updates and so it's just really nice which is like ooh, that's pretty i, I like see that. and then like, like something in your ui could like could use the hook just for the filter right so that just for the filter names I mean, it looks just like you just say use atom filter names and you don't know that it's derived it just gotcha. works it just works automatically okay it's pretty i like it. <laughs> <laughs> are there any other libraries that we want to call out i know we wanted to talk about some of like the favorite ones we've used in the past are there any other specific ones you two have used and want to like highlight as like this is been helpful to me in the past something i'd recommend and i'd recommend it if you have problems like x I'm going to throw in, yes, X state. There's this thing called X state. It's actually orthogonal to all of this. And it's a state management, it's a finite state machine mechanism. So if you've got U state, right, that's a, you're managing like a single value, right? You've got use reducer, which is a bit more complex. You know, maybe you're having a couple of values, maybe you've got a couple of interactions. But let's say that you got something where you, you, you got like a bunch of things, they all depend on each other and you got everything's going to be done in a certain sequence and it's yada, yada, yada. X state is so good and it has saved my butt so many times when it comes to this stuff. And I'll tell you, like, I, it, it is my thing for 2022. Me personally, I'm going to learn the heck out of X state. Yeah. I think it's like the, the traffic light is the, the like, mm -hmm. go to example for that. That mm -hmm. it, it, and really like, I almost see that's why the lines are blurry with these state managers because like, is X state state management? No, it's, it's, it's like, just, it's mm, like yeah. it's like a sister or a the cousin right. machine. Yeah, yeah, it's just a different way to manage a, mm, a yeah. some values, you know, in, in an ordered way. Like it, I kind of lump it together with like use state and use reducer. You could also use machine, mm -hmm. you know. 
my go-to for that is anytime I have view states that are dependent on each other, like, cause that all oftentimes gets into a mess. Like if you've got like, you're implementing some UI and you've got like three different things in use state, like three different Booleans, mm-hmm. like that's usually a sign that like, you're going down a, a path that's going to be painful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and sorry, Paige, you were going to say something. I didn't need to cut you off. Well, I... I remember trying to use X state in an already existing application when I was back at Home Depot. And I don't think anybody really understood how to use it well. So we ended up pulling it out of the project again after we had added it. So I would love to see like whatever you learn to do with it, Jack, because I've definitely (laughs) looked at the examples that David K. Piano, who created X-State, has given, like the traffic light and some of the simpler examples. But when you start to try and figure out how could I put this into an already complex existing application, that's where it kind of fell apart for me. So I'm excited for you becoming the expert on this (laughs) and making some videos or some written (laughs) articles or something of, you know, this is a real a real example of how we can use X state because we're fetching this data from one API. And if that fails, this other API that depends on it needs to fail too. And, you know, there's just so many ways that things can go wrong that X state has to, or you as the developer using X state have to understand how to tie together. That's, I think, what fell apart for us. But I've, but I know people who have used it and love it and cannot say enough good things about it. I just haven't really, I guess, had enough exposure to it to figure out how to see those benefits myself. I know people love state machines and it seems great when you talk about it, but I just haven't seen it in practice, I guess, enough. <laughs> yeah. So where, where it saved my butt recently was I was working at a company where we're kind of doing like a very high end media player. And so, you know, you had to, you would have multiple movies. You had a background movie. You're going to lay lay movies on top of a background. You had some audio fragments, and all of these things had to be sequenced out in time. And then you'd want to get going as early as possible, but not it before. You didn't want to block on all of the of the assets being loaded, and because you may be on a low bandwidth connection, so you want to block on the first one, and then you know are the is the second and the third and the buffering, and just all of that. <laughs> Putting that together in hooks was just a nightmare. <laughs> but when I moved it into into X state, it was just woo, beautiful. I guess when you, you know, another thing, like you guys do IoT, and am I connected to the device? You know, is the device in the ready state? You know, am I downloading stuff to the device? Is the device now in the ready state? You know, in the and the downloaded state is that you know is ready ready to run the the procedure that I wanted to do? You know, blah 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 blah. Those are perfect examples of your kind of states of the thing, and then. What happens if the download didn't work? Okay, we're going to transition back to the, I don't know, the bad, like the beginning state or whatever, whatever your logic is. But it's like, you actually have to think about it when you're there. And so you, you, you end up actually thinking about all those the gnarly little error conditions and they don't turn out as gnarly because like everybody has to decide, oh, okay, well, the download didn't work. Well, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, the only time I've used X-State is, well, for me, again, a demo was building out a little card game. And X-State is really appealing for that because, say, you're implementing, like, Blackjack. Like, there are a lot of rules to Blackjack that you might... It seems like a simple game until you go to code it, and then you're like, holy (laughs) crap, I have to handle for all these different scenarios. Well, if you're storing the state of the game in a state machine, it's way easier to react to, okay... 
we're in the state where it's the player's player's turn, like waiting for another card sort of thing, or it's the dealer's turn. And you can using that to like sort of drive your logic simplifies things a lot. But I do wonder, like our like the examples we're given, like I can see how it might be tricky to put X state into just like your run of the mill standard business app too. Like it's may not be necessary. Yeah, like unless it's a specific type, right? Like it's it's like these like these conflicting rules. I I think are where state machines really come into play. So if you're just doing like a standard like form based business app, maybe you don't. I, I think it again gets into like when you have the problem, no know which of these to sort of reach for so if you're doing a wizard like you've got multiple phases to your like mm-hmm. okay you got to put in the shipping address cool now that's done now i've got to put in the blah 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 now the you know billing address or whatever right and there's different panels and the, the, the that actually that's a real good thing yeah but you're right about oh my gosh i had totally forgotten about video games you want to ruin video games for yourself realize that you are just basically playing a state machine <laughs> like, you know, Breath of the Wild, your little side quest, it's a state machine, you know, like, oh, you got to get the sword first. Oh, you have the sword. Cool. Now you got to go slay the, you know, blah, 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 blah. Now you got to open the this with the key, you know, it's just a state machine. And, you know, like, ah, I'm playing a state machine. <laughs> I like, though, the the wizard, ex- uh, the wizard example, not a wizard from a video game. <laughs> a <wizard>. right. <laughs> now I've got a mix up in my head. But yes, because like. The logic to what should the next button show is like, and we're like, where should the next button go? Like mm-hmm. that stuff is, it's like one of those things that like seems like it's the easiest thing in the world. But then you're like, why do I have a 17 line function right. for whether <laughs> the next button shows or what it does? Yeah. So if yeah, you're in that situation, yeah. Yeah. And invariably you get the request from product to like, hey, can you add a state you know, or, or a thing between these two things? You're like, no. God, yeah, no. we, we need our customers, customers that are that have purchased the premium package actually oh. need another screen in between so that they can choose. Yeah, like, yeah. like things like that that come up here. Just uh, yeah, right. You're like that. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking of. That's what we wanted the state machine for is because there was so much business logic behind any action that a user was taking in our application. Because, you know, you had to go out and check inventory management. But was it allowed in this particular state that the customer wanted to order it from because of legal regulations? Yeah. And was it available in this particular shipping DC that they were trying to, you know, it was just, there was so much other stuff that you had to take into account before you could, you know, enable that button to order or disable it and show some sort of an error message. That's what we wanted it for because it was so much more complicated than it seemed at first glance. Mm. But yeah, that's that's when a state machine would have come in handy if we could have figured out how exactly to construct it to help us. <laughs> it, it's just it's just a big one. I mean, I literally I've I've been spending an hour a night literally just reading through the X state docs, you know, and I'll get three or four pages through and it, there's just so many concepts. There's services and there's activities and there's actors and how you model it is just it's overwhelming i think for you know you know the david i'm sure he looks at any system and says oh well, i use this for this and i use that for that and that for that and there you go but i mean i i'm still the uh, you've given me i don't know like a, an access to an industrial kitchen and asked me to make a souffle and i have no idea you know where to begin <laughs> yeah Hi. definitely and another good thing to think about and potentially reach for though when you're looking at all these different ways of handling that's the i guess that's the frustrating and the great thing about web development is that there are so many 
ways to accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to do. And there is no one right answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's like the optimistic approach to all of this is that yes, there, it, yes, this is confusing, like no one's gonna argue that this, this whole conversation isn't confusing, but it's also pretty empowering, because years ago, you couldn't do any of this stuff, right? Or, or doing it would be very, very difficult. Uh, so there's a lot of things out there that are powerful. And so there's a lot you can do. Yeah, yeah. I think to Paige's point, right? There's another part of this is figuring out who is around that can make use of this or you know what are we gonna have to teach people coming in the door like people talk about redux sagas being kind of redux plus plus and there's like those use generators not a lot of folks are familiar with javascript generators and so you get this kind of issue of like okay we're bringing this cool library and we all know it or 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 xdate is an example right now but now it's basically something you got to put on on your on the the job rack it's like we need you to know this or we need you to at least like be able to like come up to speed quickly on this or we need to swallow a month of questioning like what is that how does this work i don't get it you know kind of thing yeah at the same time though i'd rather be dependent on some weird library than some hand rolled oh yeah too right because mm-hmm. then at least you can tell people well hey you know, we're using this advanced Redux thing, but there are documentation there, you know, you can look it up on YouTube, Jack's probably made a video on it, right? <laughs> like, you can find these things out here. So but whereas if you have a, a like a just a completely custom built thing for for states, like man, like then the person who wrote it leaves the company or moves oh, to another Lord, department. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're coupled to it. And it, that can get to, to be a mess too. So oh, well, yeah, I mean, Yes, I I would say go for the NPM package over the person who says that they can hand roll this and code for all, you know, all possible scenarios. However, after seeing what's been going on with Faker.js, which is the new news that they've pulled, you know, the maintainer has pulled that package and now all sorts of stuff is crashing, kind of like the left pad incident five or six years ago. Ugh, just make sure that it's something that has a lot of downloads, I guess, and, and a, a an active maintainer group, hopefully, not just a single person. I am going to the NPM popularity page. There's a there's a site where you can literally just pi- type in a, a package, right? And it not only tells you the number of downloads over time, which is beautiful and awesome, but also gives you some alternatives. It's like, oh, you know, you typed in recoil. Well, here's Jotai, you know, and you can click plus Jotai and you can see like how many downloads does it have? And you can start. And yes, it's not perfect, but you know, I mean, age, yeah, it's maybe the most popular one isn't the right one. But yeah, I, although Faker does have a lot of downloads. So, <laughs> well, never use latest in your package JSONs, right? Like, <laughs> Lock your dependencies another, down. Yeah, it's another pro tip. Because I, I mean, even like in the Faker situation, I, I'm sure someone forked it like within a few hours, right? And put another option out there so that people could at least resolve their builds and such. Mm, I think so. Uh, probably. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> yeah. This guy's got a good point, though, about why why he bailed. He does. We We as a larger community need to figure out how to help the people who are doing this out of the goodness of their hearts because they have bills to pay as well. Can't just yeah. be open source and we take forever and never give back. Yeah, it's partially and for some background for people that aren't familiar, basically the author of the library has been 
an advocate of basically just getting paid for the open source work that they have done. And as sort of they got upset about it and basically took their library completely off of NPM sort of in, in spite. And honestly, like we could have an entire, <laughs> we could let this derail, we could go another couple hours. <laughs> so maybe this is another panel episode at some point, but it is kind of striking, like, especially in this conversation, all of these libraries we've talked about today, they're all free. They're all open source. They're mm. all on GitHub. Uh, you know, they're, they're all like nebulously uh, maintained. Sometimes we know the people behind them. Sometimes we don't. The it, it's, it's kind of a weird world we live in. Yeah. I and mean, it, I, I really can empathize with this person. One, because I didn't use Faker for anything. So I wasn't personally impacted by it. But two, because like he said, large, really large enterprise level companies are using his stuff for free and not giving one wit about it. And that's, I think if I was him, that would be the part that bothers me is these companies are making so much money. There should be some sort of recourse that they should be required or should give just based on how much profit he's helping them generate just by giving fake data to their teams as they build their applications. The last time, last times I used Faker were at Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you're going to test the checkout form. You got to have some names, you know, you're going to check the user, the user list table, right, or whatever customer list table, you're going to have some fake names. And it was a great library for that. And he's totally right. And these libraries that have hundreds of thousands or millions of downloads a week, I can't even imagine how much time it takes to maintain those libraries and the questions that you're going to get every day. Mm -hmm. It's just got to be overwhelming. So state management. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Are there like, I, I feel like we've done like, it's it's been a little bit of a hodgepodge episode, but I, I feel like we've done some decent job covering some of these territories. I mean, I think I would just encourage people. I mean, no, it's complicated, but you know, dive in, try things out. There's there's no like right or wrong approach here. There's no silver bullets. Yeah, you just kind of have to experiment. Uh I don't know, Jack, Paige, anything, anything you want to end our discussion of state management on any like parting advice for people? Try not to go outside of whatever your framework provides for as long as you can. You'll know, you will know, honestly, and I know that this is the worst thing ever, but you will know when you've reached the point where React or Next or whatever is just not cutting it any longer. And that's when you should really start evaluating the options that are beyond what they can provide to you. I completely agree. And I would just say, you know, keep it simple. Use only get only pull these things down when you need them. I get a lot of folks who ask me, I've got this technology and that technology, and they'll list off like 10 different things. And be like, oh, no, the, it doesn't work together. And you're like, what are you building? And they're like, oh, tic-tac-toe. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you don't need any of that. <laughs> like, what? I'm not. I'm not being real for sure. And like, but basically, you know, like uh, you know, an e-commerce app. Like, wh- it, what state? Like, beside, like the checkout flow is probably your most complicated part. Where it's like, is, as Paige said, do you have it in inventory? Blah 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 blah. What's your address? Yada yada yada. What what shipping options do you want? If you're just going to show a page, it's got like an add to cart button with a quantity. I mean, I'm sure there are some really complicated ones out there. But if it's just like, you know, you're just, just selling, you know, whatever, uh, you know, screen protectors. Like, it's just not like, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of state. You don't need that much state. <laughs> no, no. Cool. 
is good advice to end on. So uh, if, if you have any further questions, find Jack's video on 20 state management libraries and ask in the comments. He'll be he'll be happy to help you out. Make, make your question very specific. <laughs> yes, please. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. All right. Why don't we move on to our picks? Paige, you want to kick us off? Sure. I will kick us off for this week. So there's been a a whole bunch of new seasons of really good shows coming out lately on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Paramount and all these things. Um, So one that we've been watching recently is The Witcher. Season two just came out on Netflix. And if you like fantasy and Game of Thrones type of stuff, not quite as gory as Game of Thrones or uh, Wheel of Time, which came out on Amazon and is kind of their answer to it, then you're probably really going to like The Witcher. It's based on a, a whole series of books as well. And the guy who is Superman in the DC movies, Henry Cavill, is one of the main characters. He's the Witcher himself. And just the story and the characters so far have been really good and really fun to watch and see what they've come up with. So that will be my pick for this week is it's on Netflix and it's a good a good watch if you want to get lost in some fantasy drama. It's a very different season, though, wasn't it? Like season one and season two have a very different feel. Yeah, very different storylines and stuff yeah. is going on, but still, still entertaining. I would say. Oh yeah, Henry Cavill is hilarious. I mean, mm-hmm. is his shtick? Yeah. <laughs> I think we, my wife and I, watched the first episode of the first season and got very confused, and we meant oh, yeah. to continue. We meant yes. to continue it, but we just kind of passed. So I, we we've been needing to come back at some point. Yeah. Well, season two has a linear time flow, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Season one's all over the map. Like season one, it's like, wait a second. One, one scene is like 300 years earlier than the next scene. You're like, what is going on? Yeah. And, but, but it was fun. And then like season two is very linear and very easier to understand, but it's so, it's dark. It's like, there's no levity in it like it's just like whoa that, that was my take yeah that's a good point jack i forgot about that because it's been a while but season one the timeline jumped all over and so we ended up i think watching it twice because the first time <laughs> didn't really make sense yeah, I and got we watched it. the second time and, and then it made a lot more sense because you knew that, that was happening but they should have i think it would have been better if they had kind of indicated that somehow to viewers or to readers <laughs> 300 years ago <laughs> On that plot. We should do a movie review show. I think that'd be great. (laughs) Uh, Jack, what picks do you have? I'm going to go with my AirPod Maxes. They're they're hilariously expensive, and it was a total splurge. But I got to tell you, I've never had sound isolation as good as these. And... I will turn off the sound isolation. I'll be like, wow, my world's noisy. I hear like fans. I hear everything. (laughs) But if you're going to be working from home every day... 
on the, or working from the office, you know, and you just want like a quiet space or, or you just want to you know, really dig your music and get into the flow. These things are just phenomenal. Just so good. Crazy good. Cool. Yeah, I've been meaning to, I, I kind of want to see the store to like try them on my head before I, cause just because they are, <laughs> they're, they're not cheap <laughs> just to see if, cause I, over the year headphones are like hit or miss for me. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, like sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Totally. Cool. Well, my pick this week is Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie. <laughs> and I will caveat this by saying this is a movie primarily for two groups of people. The, the first is kids. I'd say especially like, boys around like the age of like 10 11 and the second group of people is people that really buy into nostalgia like grew up with sonic the hedgehog and so me having kids that age and growing up with sonic i was like this movie was made for me uh (laughs) (laughs) so if you do not if you did not play the sonic games or whatever or you don't have kids this is probably not a movie for you uh, but they did a really good job just playing like homage to the original games. There's lots of little little Easter eggs here. There, like a lot of the music works its way in. So it's just a fun time uh, for anybody that's familiar with the original games. So if that is you, I'd recommend checking it out. And you instantly making... recognize do 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 do. Yes. Then yeah. you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. They're they're in a town like Green Hill, Montana, is where it like <laughs> takes place, and like. There's just lots of little things like there's a couple of like decent there, there's some good dad jokes in there. Like it's just uh, Jim Carrey is plays like Jim Carrey. Like he's just, you know, mm-hmm. insane in the movie. But yeah. And the Fun second times. one's coming out, too, right? Yeah, that's kind of why we watched it, because the yeah. second one's coming out in a few months. So nice. we wanted to check this one out. And it, also, if you have a Hulu subscription, it's free on Hulu oh. to, to stream the movie, too. So cool. Cool. All right. This is well, very thanks, fun. everybody. Yeah, yeah, this is a fun conversation. Hopefully people learned a little bit or <laughs> a little something about state management. I know I did. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how you manage state. Well, I was always interested to hear that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, everybody, again. And until next week. See you then. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.